This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church. On this podcast, we are going to take a look at the persecution trends report for this year. And unfortunately, Nigeria, again, set to be a hot spot for the followers of Jesus, along with other African nations in the Sahel region. Countries of concern also include Afghanistan, India, and North Korea. The Persecution Trends Report is published by UK-based Release International, a Christian organization helping persecuted Christians around the world and a partner of the Voice of the Martyrs Canada. Joining me to talk about the report is Andrew Boyd, a spokesman for Release International. Andrew joins me from Southern England. And Andrew, thanks for being on Closer to the Fire. It's a real pleasure to be with you, Greg. Thank you for having me. Okay, before we talk about some of the countries in the persecution trends report, why is this report so important to get out there? Well, you have to spot what is happening as a trend, and it takes three points to make a trend. You, you can look at a change, but the question is, is that change going to be permanent? Does it, does it show the direction of travel? So what we do is at Release International every year, we, we talk to our partners on the ground. Release, like Voice of the Martyrs Canada, works with partners who are trusted people who are working within those countries, experts within their field, reliable people. And we ask them, what is going on? What are you seeing? What do you think is likely to be happening in the coming year? And we, we gather that information, we put it together, and we look for confirmation really in the, in the trends that we've been spotting throughout the year. This latest report does confirm the trends that we've been seeing. Uh, it shows that persecution is getting worse around the world. I guess in some ways, when we look at it, uh, you know, in, in the work that we do with the Voice of the Martyrs, and I know from a theological perspective, we know that persecution will, you know, go right up until the return of Jesus. But it can be a little bit discouraging because we are seeing things getting worse. We know that Jesus said that in this world, you will have trouble. But he then said, but take heart because I've overcome the world. We know that there will be persecution. He said that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. So sometimes Release International gets dubbed in the media as an anti-persecution charity. And that's a difficult one to try and explain because if Jesus said there's going to be persecution, how can you be against it? But we're also told as Christians to speak up for those who have no voice, to 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 campaign for justice, to be their advocates. So we know persecution will get worse. Uh, we're not settling for that. We're choosing to speak up and advocate for people to tell their stories, to get their stories out there. But the bottom line is we're always looking for redemption and we're always looking for hope in everything that we report. And where God is at work in his church among his people, you can always find stories of redemption and hope. So we're both telling what is going on and looking to focus prayer for that and also looking for something that will encourage people who, who listen to it. it what the last thing in the world we want to do is to glorify the works of the enemy mm. and persecution is violence by another name and it looks horrible it feels horrible it is it is quite disgusting but you know that's what happened to jesus he was persecuted yeah. uh, he was accused of blasphemy he was crucified and we're seeing christians around the world being persecuted and accused of blasphemy uh, we see a lot of that happening in Pakistan, but in it all, we know that God is God and Jesus is Lord and we trust him with our lives. And the real issue here is for those of us in the free world who have freedom 
to worship in peace. We have freedom of faith. We have freedom of speech by and large. Mm -hmm. We need to use that freedom really well. So I want us to be encouraged by the stories we're hearing from the persecuted church, because I think I think the real word for what that church is, is not so much the persecuted church as the overcoming church. These are people who are overcoming and they're an absolute inspiration to us. They certainly are. And that's one of the things I know that Release International, our Voice of the Martyrs partners around the world, it's not just stories of Christian suffering and that is the reality for sure. And that, as we mentioned, will continue right until the return of Jesus. But the overcoming stories, because, and, and I know as I speak in churches, primarily in Canada, is to tell believers, like, don't turn away from this. This is so important. This is one of the main themes of the Bible is people are suffering for righteousness, their faithfulness to Jesus. And there's so many overcoming stories. God is working all over the world. And yet uh, in this battle between, you know, evil and good, uh, there's going to be suffering. And unfortunately, many of our brothers and sisters are going through that. So let's go now to the uh, the trends report here and what we're seeing around the world. Uh, let's start off in the Sahel region of sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, I mean, we see the Islamic extremists. They are gaining control, uh, not only in Nigeria, uh, but, you know, there's this violence that's taking place these extremists, uh, you know, they're expanding. So when you look at what's happening in the Sahel, uh, and also, of course, in Nigeria, the Boko Haram, you've got ISIS, you've got the Fulani herdsmen, and it's gone beyond Nigeria now into many of these other regions. When you mention the word Sahel, I think a lot of us are going to be thinking, well, where exactly is that? So if you picture a map of Africa, this huge continent, you go up towards the north, you look at the band with a Sahara Desert right the way across the full width of the country. The Sahara Desert turns into green savanna where sand gives way to grass. That's the Sahel region. It's absolutely enormous. And it's massively underreported what is going on there. We're, we're becoming aware of what is happening in Nigeria. We know that so many Christians are being displaced, particularly from the north. But if you go up above Nigeria, you go up to the part of Africa that was largely French colonies there. We're talking about Burkina Faso. We're talking about Mali, Niger, Chad. Actually, it stretches right across to, to Eritrea. But mm -hmm. in the west of Africa, particularly, what is going on in Nigeria? is also going on there. So the jihadists, the, the Islamist militant extremist groups are increasingly active. And if you look at Mali, for example, maybe one of the few things that's restrained them from that country has been the presence of French troops. But the French are drawing down their troops. Now, we saw what happened in Afghanistan when the US withdrew, drew down its troops and withdrew. Now, we're seeing something similar happening in Mali. And it's likely that that's going to encourage the Islamists there to go even further. So, as I say, we're, we're more familiar with what is going on in Nigeria, though I wish the world would do more about it because it's just not doing enough. The Nigerians aren't doing enough, but we're now seeing the same thing happening in the Sahel. So whenever I get the opportunity, I'm saying to people, look at the Sahel, look at what is going on there, because you're seeing a massive influx of armed groups who are wanting to take control of the whole of Africa. That's their agenda right. to do yep. that. And they're beginning from the north and working their way down. Now, Andrew, one of the countries that we continue to follow, and, and you've talked about it already, is Nigeria. I've been there a number of times. I've seen firsthand the effects of 
the violence on Christians, especially the women and the children. Uh, the situation is so desperate in many of the parts of Nigeria, so dangerous. You know, you got the Boko Haram, you've got ISIS, you've got Fulani herdsmen. And as you mentioned in your persecution trends report, it's going to continue uh, into that nation. I mean, one of the examples that you cite in the report is Fulani militants destroyed 50 villages last year and displaced 5,000 Christians. And again, and I've talked to different people in Nigeria, like uh, Yanusa Madu uh, with Christian Solidarity Worldwide, and I've asked the question, why is the government not doing more? Uh, You know, are they just kind of just turning their head against this, or are they just not motivated to do anything? What are you hearing in terms of Nigeria, and what should we be doing? You, You talked about maybe even pressure from our governments in the UK and in Canada towards the government in Nigeria. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, the figure that you've quoted there, 50 villages, 5,000 people displaced, that is such a conservative figure. It's, it's, that is the tip of the iceberg. It's difficult always to prove what is going on, but we know the extent of what is happening is, is really dramatic. Nigeria, more Christians are being killed in Nigeria than anywhere else in the world. And by killed, I mean murdered. They're being murdered. They're identified as Christians and they're being driven out of their villages. Boko Haram, which we're fairly aware of, has declared publicly kill Christians. I'm quoting them directly. This is not me paraphrasing them. This is what they say. They've declared war on Christians. Their their declared intention is to turn the whole of Nigeria into an Islamic state. Mm -hmm. Now, that seems pretty far-fetched because Nigeria is huge. It's the most populous nation in Africa. Most of the the majority in the South are Christian, the majority in the North are Muslim. But so many states in the North now have adopted Sharia law, strict Islamic law, and Christians are being driven out there. Now, we've known about Boko Haram. We remember the Chibok girls, the kidnapping there, but a much greater problem, and you've mentioned it, Gregor, Fulani militants. Now, this is an enormous tribe that goes way beyond Nigeria. It goes across much of Africa. Not all of them are militants and not all of them are jihadists. We need to be really clear about that. But And they have yet to declare officially a jihad against Christians, but the agenda they're serving is to drive Christian villages out of their homes. They're slaughtering people. These are farmers. You've seen it, Greg. I've seen it. I've seen the results of it. I've seen the children with machete cuts across their faces from being attacked by these militants. It's really hard to to say, and it's hard to hear, and it's hard to see, but it is what is happening there. The extraordinary thing, as you've said, is that Nigeria appears to be turning a blind eye to what's happening. And I tell you what's even more extraordinary, and that is that the United States has just delisted Nigeria as a country of particular concern. Now, why does that matter? It matters enormously because when you have a country flagged up by a nation as powerful and influential as the United States as of particular concern, it means that when the US is dealing with that country, it brings the issue of human rights to the table, whether it's talking about aid or whether it's talking about relief or or trade even, those issues become front and center. You delist it and they just disappear. So if Nigeria has been turning a blind eye, we're now seeing the US beginning to do the same thing. And it's staggering because even in the United States Department's, the US State Department's own report, 
It talks about the potential for religious war breaking out in Nigeria. There are quotes within that report which should raise the hairs on the back of the neck of many people around the world. And yet the US is choosing to turn a blind eye. No wonder Nigeria doesn't engage in the protection of its own citizens if the US and others are going to let it happen. Yeah, when I saw that, uh, you know, it was like the rest of us that work in Nigeria, very concerned. And unfortunately, politics sometimes trumps human rights. We had seen that not only in Nigeria, we, you know, see that in China. Um, and that's what I really our organizations are so important. Um, of course, we know that ultimately God is in control. We have to keep remembering that, but we have to push, you know, our governments and uh, and we, of course, our friends in the United States and, you know, Voice the Martyrs there also pressuring the U.S. government as well to, again, list Nigeria as a country that is of, you know, major concern when it comes to human rights, especially uh, for Christians up in the north. Okay, Andrew, we're going to talk now about a couple of countries that have been on the uh, world watch list of our friends at Open Doors for a number of years, and that's Afghanistan and North Korea. But let's talk about Afghanistan first. In 2021, uh, an incredibly chaotic year uh, in Afghanistan with the Taliban taking over. And according to one of your partners uh, in the country uh, from Release International, that Christians are not only worried about the Taliban, they're also worried about family members because the thousands of Christians that are in the country come from Muslim backgrounds. You need to, th to look at the context. Uh, certainly the violence in Afghanistan has risen dramatically. There aren't very many Christians in that country, but a lot of those who were there have fled. A lot of them have been unable to flee. And we know that Christians have been leaving some of the major areas and going into more rural areas where there is less of a presence of the Taliban. But we also know that there have been reports of the Taliban going door to door, looking for people who were connected with the old regime. And in some cases, it's said by our partners looking for Christians as well. So we know that that's been happening. But what also is taking place there is a change of culture within that whole country. An oppressive hand has come right down on that country so that a very conservative form of Islam uh, and it's very clan-based as well in, in Afghanistan, the culture has tightened right up. And that means that the Christians have always been at risk in that country uh, of being turned in by family members. Right. That risk is greatly heightened now. That it's, it's now more likely that if anybody finds a Christian praying or worshipping, they are more likely to, to turn them in because those Christians, from their perspective, are betraying their country and they're betraying their culture. They're betraying their, their religion, Islam, uh, as they would see it. So uh, given that, and given that that's what the Taliban want, and given that's where the pressure has come on from the Taliban, the risk of Christians being shopped, turned in, reported by family members or people within the community is greater now than it ever has been. Yeah, and one of the things too that, you know, and again, when people want to flee a country, I understand that. I have three daughters and I've got two granddaughters. And if I was living in Afghanistan, I would probably want to come to a country like England or Canada, United States or Australia, uh, you know, so my daughters could get educated and they could have jobs and careers and, and whatever they want to do. 
so it's a difficult situation. But you've had 20 years, you know, since the Taliban, you know, were kicked out of the country. They're now back in the country. And during that time, and we don't, again, don't know the numbers, but thousands and thousands of Muslims have come to know Jesus. So you've got this uh, tension. Uh, you, we want the believers to stay uh, so that they can continue to be the light of Jesus. But you understand also, you know, the difficulties and the challenges that they're facing. How can we then, Andrew, best support our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan? Well, I mean, Greg, that, that is, that's the huge question. What do we do about these situations? And it seems to me that, that Scripture offers two, two views here. One is when you're persecuted from town to town, flee. And the other one is to is to stay and, and be a witness to Christ. But you just have to be led by the Holy Spirit and all of that. And in some cases, certainly in Afghanistan, it's simply not been possible to leave the country. As a father myself, I honestly, I don't know what I would do. You'd, you'd have to say, God, what do you want? What is the best thing that we can do? But I would say that for the rest of us standing outside this, looking at it, uh, it's wonderful to hear that Canada is opening its doors to so many people from Afghanistan. The world needs to do that. You know, and we, we said at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about Jesus saying that persecution would happen. But the Bible also tells us, Proverbs 31.8 says, speak up for those who have no voice. Speak up and judge fairly. We're called to be advocates. We're called to put pressure on government to do the right things. We're called to champion the poor and needy. That's part of the calling on our lives to do that. And I think for, for all of us to welcome the refugee, uh, not as uh, <laughs> not as un unwelcome visitors to our nations, but as people who, yep. like us, mm -hmm. if it were you who had to flee to another nation, how would you want to be treated? And I think we need to be treating refugees in the same way. Obviously, there's real politic in all of this. How many do you take in? I don't know. That's one for governments, but, but, for the, for, but we need to care. We need to do something to show that we care. The other thing, of course, we can do is pray. And you can't pray effectively if you're ignorant, and if you mm. don't know the people, if you don't know the situations. So the best way to pray is to get involved in the stories of people who tell their stories. And you and I, Greg, we're both reporters. We've traveled the world. We put cameras in front of people, bless them, and we let them tell their stories. And sometimes I feel like a bit of a vampire doing that. Yeah. But people say at the end of it, thank you for listening. They so want to tell their stories. And I recognize that what we need to be doing is, is giving them the opportunity to speak and opening our hearts to listen to them. And that then means that we can be creative when we pray. Now, there's a lot of things we could all be burdened about. And, I, and the Lord doesn't want us to be burdened. He says, cast your burdens on me. Yeah. But, it, but to intercede, we need to be continuing the 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 ministry of Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us, who comes and puts his arm around us, who shares our burdens and, to, and cares. And prayer is just an extension of love. God is love. The call to prayer is, an ex is a call to join him in loving those in need and, and to do more than just speak. We need to act as well. So there are always things that we can do. 
Right. And we will continue to, you know, to be praying. We will make awareness of what is happening. I know Voice of the Martyrs Canada and also Release International uh, working in countries like Afghanistan. We have to be very careful. There's so many security issues. We don't want to put our brothers and sisters, you know, in any kind of danger. And I know that personally, I've been involved in helping uh, to get Christian refugees into Canada that have had to flee countries like Pakistan. Certainly, we want believers to stay in the country, as I mentioned before, to be that light, to bring that hope of Jesus uh, into these situations. But there are cases where they would be killed and they need to leave the country. And uh, many of them do continue to have a heart and a passion for the people uh, in their homeland. So we continue to do that, uh, you know, as individuals. I do that as Greg Musselman, uh, you know, a Canadian Christian wanting to help my brothers and sisters from other countries as Voice of the Martyrs and Release International. We want to strengthen the church, you know, in many of these countries like uh, North Korea. You've also got a food insecurity situation happening there in North Korea. And I mean, now there's, you know, situation that this uh, starvation could even get worse. You know, we've got this uh, COVID epidemic that's taking place. And if you remember back in the 1990s, up to three and a half million North Koreans died of hunger. And according to some estimates, that's about 10% of the population, people that lost their lives. And Andrew, you know, we see the situation. uh, It's been bad for many, many years uh, in North Korea. Can things get even worse than it is right now in terms of the persecution of our brothers and sisters there? You know, Greg, I wish I could say something other than yes as the answer to that question, but I think that is the the truthful answer to it. Can things get worse? Yes, they can. And what we see happening, you've mentioned food insecurity. Climate change is leading to food insecurity. But even with COVID-19, which of course has swept the entire world, we've seen that Christians have been scapegoated when a nation feels insecure. Christians have been left to the back of the queue or even driven out of the queue altogether when it comes to relief aid in parts of the world with COVID-19. We've seen that in country after country after country. Christians have been discriminated against because of COVID-19. But we also see in North Korea, we've seen uh, Kim Jong-un, preparing his people in public media on the television to say, effectively, you need to tighten your belts. Things are going to get hard. And you know that when the leader of North Korea says that publicly, the whole world will pick up on that. Much is at stake in terms of his reputation. But you know, yet again, things are going to get difficult in North Korea. In Afghanistan, uh, we've seen uh, food insecurity. In North Korea, we're seeing food insecurity. The whole world has seen COVID. COVID-19 insecurity, and it's Christians who are often being blamed and scapegoated for that. So yes, I think for those reasons, things are going to get worse. And you think about, you know, the thousands of Christians in North Korea that are in concentration camps. And, you know, I've read many stories about, uh, you know, Christians that that had to flee from North Korea into South Korea and other places into China and the horrific stories. I've had opportunity to meet many North Korean uh, believers and hear their stories. It's traumatic. And you think of that is going on right now. Uh, it's, it's a difficult situation. And that's why it is number one on the world watch list uh, from open doors is the most dangerous place to be a follower of Jesus. And yet People are coming to know Christ in in record numbers. Uh, We're hearing from our friends, Eric Foley and Voice of the Martyrs Korea. Let me just pick up on on that for a second there, Greg, because you mentioned our colleague, Dr. Eric Foley, who is is a wonderful man, very clever man and a very, very wonderful Christian. Now, one of the things that he's saying is that actually because of COVID-19, 
in North Korea, the authorities have been backing away from doing house-to-house -house searches. Now, we know that North Korea has passed a, a law not that long ago, which has meant that even more Christians have been rounded up and arrested. But COVID-19 has caused them to back away. Yeah. And we know that from North Korea, through various channels, as a result of that little breathing space that the pandemic has given Christians, they've been requesting more and more and more and more Bibles. I mean, the big deal about that in North Korea is if you're found with a Bible, that's probably a death sentence. Mm -hmm. I, I've got you're looking at my bookshelves behind me. I don't know how many Bibles I've got on those shelves there. <laughs> but but just to have one of those in North Korea and be found with that is likely to give you a death sentence. But the North Koreans are requesting Bibles. And the other wonderful thing, you know, the way God works is that the best translation of the Bible in North Korea is one that the North Korean authorities produce themselves. They did it as yeah. a token. They produced a brilliantly translated version into their own language. Uh, they produced a few copies of that or a few hundred copies of that and just left it there as a way of showing there is religious freedom, mm -hmm. which there isn't no. in North Korea. And that particular translation is now being produced in large numbers by our colleagues and distributed via various means across North Korea. So thank you so much to the various Kim's, the Kim dynasty for producing such a superb translation of the Bible, which is blessing the people of North Korea. That's how God works. He does. And, you know, we see that uh, in the Bible, how God used uh, even those that were opposed uh, to the Jewish people in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament and throughout church history. It's amazing. You know, another country I want to talk about now uh, where there is a growing concern on your persecution trends report is India where blatant attacks against Christians are rising. You know, we've seen the video. In fact, many of these Hindu radicals actually video it and put it on social media as a warning to those that, you know, might be considering uh, leaving Hinduism to become followers of Jesus. Uh, yeah, and then you've also got a growing number of Indian underclass, the Dalits, as they're known as, uh, turning to Jesus. That is happening as you have Hindu nationalism rising in India. And, uh, you know, as, it, as they state, if you're Indian, uh, you're Hindu. And of course, the Christians say, no, we're good citizens here. But again, that is the ideology that is being spread there. And now, Andrew, you have several states already that have passed these anti-conversion laws. And uh, we're hearing about another state that has also in the process of doing that as well. That's Karnataka. That's right, Greg. Uh, Karnataka is a state which is where there has been a lot of violence against Christians lately. And that is, that's gone through the first legislative hurdle towards getting its own anti-conversion bill passed into law. Uh, there's some disagreement about how many states have passed these things, but what we know for absolute certainty is that more and more states are, and that the Hindu nationalists are pressing for an anti-conversion law across the whole of the country. Now, from the, there's a logic in what they're saying is wrong, but there's a logic in it. And the logic is this, that if somebody, if a Christian missionary, for example, uh, forces you to switch from being a Hindu to being a Christian, well, that should be illegal. Or if they bribe you for to change your faith, well, that should be illegal too. But my goodness, look at the way that that is being interpreted. We've just heard that the Mother Teresa's mission in India, which has been doing sterling work in leper colonies yeah. and amongst the poorest of the poor in that nation now for years and years and years, they've, they've pulled the plug on the foreign funding for that because they say that people are being forced to convert to Christianity. Well, I don't know, M Mother Teresa doesn't look like a fine example of muscular Christianity to me, bless no. her. 
you know, we're talking about nuns who are serving the Lord and serving the people of India. So what is happening here? Just forget the justifications for these so-called bills. What's happening is there is a movement called Hindutva, and that movement is if you are Indian, you are Hindu, and nothing else will be tolerated. Absolutely nothing will be tolerated. The best example of that we've seen is in the feature film Slumdog Millionaire, where mm -hmm. we see uh, Hindu mobs rampaging against Muslims in that particular film. But it's the same thing, that they're attacking Muslims and they are attacking Christians. And, and now, as you've already pointed out, the, the Hindus are filming themselves doing it. I saw a video the other day of um, a group of kids, lots of them, young teenagers, throwing stones at a Christian school, smashing the glass, going. And you think, well, it's just, it, it's, it's intimidating, but isn't that just vandalism? Well, yes, it is. But there are kids inside that school who are sitting their final exams. You imagine being in there with a glass smashing in around you, knowing that there's a mob outside there that wants to come in. Much worse than that has happened. We've had Christians who've had acid poured over them, including kids who've yeah. been killed. People have been burnt alive. Uh, and this is yeah, this is getting worse and worse in India, and it's and it follows on the back of the rise in Hindu nationalism within India. The party in power is the BJP, that is the Nationalist Party, and it serves their agenda to wave a nationalist flag. But the trouble is, you start to do that when you're in power, and all of the militants come out of the woodwork and start to do exactly what they're doing in Karnataka and elsewhere. There have been attacks before Christmas, after Christmas. And we're getting reports on an almost daily basis of attacks in India. It's deeply concerning. Yeah, that's the same way we're having with Voice of the Martyrs Canada is, is getting the stories out uh, because there's so many, as you mentioned before, from Nigeria. We also have that happening in India. And, you know, talking to people in the country, in India, in this particular case, and also Nigeria, but Christians are often the scapegoats. If the economy is bad, then they use Christians, uh, you know, to further their agendas. And so it's it's a difficult time for Christians. And, and, and in Muslim countries and other countries that, you know, are, and not all of them, certainly, we, we never want to say that, but uh, this whole uh, conversion, you know, if you're leaving Islam or if you're leaving Hinduism or like in places like Sri Lanka, you're leaving Buddhism. Well, you must be enticed to become a Christian because why else would you do that? And so the churches have to have an incredible amount of wisdom. Uh, we know as followers of Jesus, and, and I know church history, there's been times where it's not very pretty, where there has been people, you know, being forced uh, to become Christian. So we're, we're against that. I mean, we know the Bible teaches you, you come freely to the Lord. That's the way it works. But it is a difficult challenge for many, you know, for those that are, you know, trying to advance the gospel in places like India. And again, Andrew, that's why we need to pray. What are some other countries, uh, as you know, as we wrap up our time here that we need to keep our eye on over the next year or two? I would say it's worth looking at Pakistan. Uh, in Pakistan, we see an increase in the numbers of people who are being accused of blasphemy in that country. We see, uh, we see a constant stream of attacks against Christians in that nation. And it is worth looking there because you, you remember the case of Asya Bibi, the, the, the Christian woman, mm -hmm. a Catholic background woman, who was accused of blasphemy, ended up on death row. Eventually, the Supreme Court 
uh, acquitted her. It took a long time for her to get out of the country. Uh, she went to Canada. Thank you for offering refuge mm -hmm. to her. And uh, and the question is, has has anything changed in that nation? And I'm afraid it probably hasn't. But I just want to tell you a bit of good news from Pakistan in terms of the heart of people there. One of Release International's partners was telling us about what kind of Christmas they're likely to be facing in Pakistan in the Christmas gone. And uh, he said, well, mercifully, the police are protecting the Christian colonies. They're, they're sealing them off right. so that people have to hand in passes in order to get in and out. So there's a degree of police protection there, which is good. We see in other countries, the police are turning a blind eye to attacks on Christians or even preventing Christian Christmas, have been preventing Christmas services, as has happened in parts of India. Mm -hmm. But we've seen that happening there. But this amazing, brave uh, brother in the faith said, you know, nothing will ever stop us from celebrating our Christian faith or from celebrating Christmas because we love the Lord because of all that he's done for us. And what these guys have been doing themselves is going out door to door to the poorest of the poor in Pakistan. They've been giving them, these are people with nothing, nothing to wear, nothing to eat. They've been giving them clothing, they've been giving them food, and they've been showing the love of God to them. And when it came to Christmas services, for example, the, the situation has got to such a pass in Pakistan that if a family is going to attend a Christian a Christmas service out there, they do it in shifts. So half the family would go to the morning service and half the family would go to the evening service. And the reason he gave for that, our partner out there, was that, well, if the terrorists do strike, at least there's going to be one parent left to look after the remaining children. Wow. It's extraordinary what is happening. So Pakistan is a worry. It's also a worry because of what's happening in Afghanistan. Remember, the Taliban are operative in Pakistan, mm -hmm. too. And so they're now emboldened by looking at what's happened across the border in Afghanistan. So I would say for that reason alone, if for no other, watch out for Pakistan or let's pray for the Christians in that country. And we've just, you know, touched on just a few of the countries concerned. We haven't talked about the Middle East and South America. Again, people are coming to know the Lord. Uh, there's great things happening right around the world. I know that living in the UK and me here in Canada, uh, we see the decline in many cases of the church in this countries and our countries, but around the world, God is working, you know, through North Africa, places where Christianity actually started. It's phenomenal. We'll continue to tell those stories, but also remembering again that we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters. And, and I know, Andrew, you agree with that. I mean, I know that it's the years I've traveled and you've traveled as well, that we need to be praying uh, for our persecuted brothers and sisters. We have some tools for that. Uh, the Voice of the Martyrs, we have the Persecution and Prayer Alert. You can sign up by going to vomcanada.com. I will put the links on the show notes here and uh, you can subscribe to that. Uh, we uh, we also have on, uh, when you go to our website, the Global Persecution page, you can find out about the countries that Andrew and I have been talking about in other nations where persecution is happening. There's country reports, there's videos, uh, share them with your church, uh, because we need to be praying it. For, certainly, it helps our brothers and sisters, you know, we want them to be strengthened, so they will not deny their faith that the gospel goes forward. But it but also for us too, it strengthens our faith that helps us from being maybe lackadaisical, uh, you know, or maybe at times wanting to compromise. So we need to do that. Also, Release International has a great webpage, many resources, releaseinternational.org. 
you know, as you're listening to this podcast that we have past episodes, find out what's going on in the world. Andrew, we can't put our head in the sand. I know we all have challenges in our countries and there's so many things going on around in the world, but praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters, it has to be a priority. Absolutely, Greg. And just as a, by way of encouraging people, because the, you, you look at everything that is happening. We've looked at a report by Release International, which says things are getting worse, and indeed they are. But, but listen, this is why prayer matters so much. I was reading today yet another report, and I read them constantly, of Jesus appearing to a Muslim in a dream. That Muslim, he appears to them as, as Isa, that's how they understand him from their Muslim faith. But he appears as Christ in a dream. And in this particular case, this woman didn't know what to make of it, but she came under such a conviction of, of the love of God to her that she went to see a Christian neighbor. And this is a great risk to her. And the neighbor said, you need to talk to a pastor. So she went to see a pastor at even greater risk. Yeah. And that pastor led her to Christ to the point now where she gladly gave her life to Christ. And now she's suffered an extreme beating yeah. by her husband and by her family as a result of that. But we're seeing across the world, Jesus appearing, particularly to Muslims in dreams and visions. How can that be? Well, I think a lot of it is down to the prayer of people like you and me and others, you know, you, we just don't know the impact that prayer can have. But prayer is love, is faith in action. It is love in action. God is love. When we pray for people, we are, we are choosing to carry the love of God to them. And God then works on the back of that and appears to them. And he's doing it in person to Muslims through dreams and visions. We hear it all the time, and it's quite breathtaking. Yeah, we are in the last days when Jesus will return. Well, we don't exactly know when that will be. Some have tried to predict that and that never goes well, but we do know he is returning. We know in the last days he's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. Uh, we see record numbers of Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, uh, nominal Christians coming into a relationship with Jesus. These are exciting times. They're also dangerous times because as you know, the Holy Spirit is being poured out, as Christians become more bold in their faith and they're sharing you know, the message of God's love, people are responding. But the enemy is also trying to stop what God is doing, and that's why there is incredible persecution happening in our world. Andrew, thank you so much for all you're doing, brother. It's a real blessing, Greg. Thank you. And thank you for you too. I mean, we, you and I have known one another for quite a long time. And I think the work that you do with Voice of the Martyrs is, is outstanding. And so much of it is about connecting people like us, ordinary people, mm -hmm. but with our amazing brothers and sisters, the overcoming church around the world who are living this remarkable life of faith under great duress. Let's not romanticize it. It's painful. It and my goodness me, we need to get something of their overcoming spirit. And hopefully soon we'll be back, uh, you know, visiting some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, in person, because, you know, one of the things that, and, and we've, we've seen this before, is, you know, we do our stories and, you know, we got practical things we're doing, whether it's food or Bibles or whatever it might be. But the thing that they will often say is just because you came, we knew we were not forgotten. Zoom the way we're doing this and uh, the video conferencing, you know, I'm so grateful for that, but there's nothing like being with them and encouraging them. And of course, COVID has been an interesting time, but the kingdom of God continues to go forward. Andrew, again, thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you real soon. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.